Hey, hello, everybody. Uh, this is David opposing the Matrix. I thought that I had a couple more seconds before I was going to get on here, but I guess I don't, and I didn't, And but I'm here. Okay. Oh, boy, where do we start tonight's show? Um, I have a reason for, for posting tonight's show, and that being that I have a vested interest in this subject for this specific community, um, that being a Jewish community, and... I figured what better night to do this than a Christmas night. Um, you know, a lot of most Jews that I know uh, do not celebrate Christmas. And I happen to celebrate it early on in the year. But still kind of revere this night for those of you who do celebrate it today. So I figured since it's and technically it's the next day, according to Jewish tradition, it is basically the 26th of December. So I'm not doing a show on Christmas. Hey. Um, anyway, so for the longest time now, the, uh, the Jewish community has been divided on whether to have the mRNA and vector virus vaccines administered unto their population. The conservatives, um, which are the Orthodox and some of the conservative, also the, uh, conservative Jewish groups, uh, the conservative union, um, have forbidden it while other Orthodox and many conservatives have said, go ahead and take it. And uh, a while back, probably about a year ago, when all this was starting up, uh, yeah, maybe a little less than a year, um, but really close. Um, I wrote to, they have a, a website online called Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org, and they're highly um, ultra-Orthodox, yet they were, telling people to go out and get the vaccine, okay? Or let me, let me clarify that. Let me just say that they weren't telling people not to get the vaccine, okay? So being curious, and I did a show on this way back. Um, being curious, I, I wrote to one of the rabbis there, and I said, okay, um, there is a Levitical law about putting, about mixing kinds. And if there is... Um, infant DNA via embryonic tissue in this thing. And if there are things from other animals in this thing, I don't want it in my body. Sorry, I'm a human. I'm going to stay human. Okay. Um, and I know I've taken vaccines in the past, but I was really ignorant in the past. So anyway, um, not saying that any of you who took the, the vaccine um, for COVID-19 are ignorant. Um, maybe you were, maybe you weren't, maybe you did, you had altruistic reasons for taking it. That's between you and Yahweh. Okay. Um, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. And back then I was looking for a reason for religious exemption because I was still working. I hadn't retired yet, but I'm kind of glad this all came along because it forced me to retire <laughs> and I'm kind of enjoying, you know, waking up when I want to now, um, and going to bed when I want to. So, so like I said, I have vested interest because I, my heritage comes from, um, from Abraham too. And also, I mean, there's not a sequel to Abraham called Abraham too. Okay. I guess they're using also more often than two. Okay. Anyway, so, and it just bothered me. And then when he started saying that children have to take this, it really bothered me. I mean, it bothered me before, and that's the whole reason I didn't take the vaccine and will not take it. Um, but when they, they go after 
your or try to go after your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and even your children depending on what age you are um and if they're adolescents they're not 18 and they can't make that decision for themselves then that's wrong okay it, it's wrong in so many ways it's wrong because they don't have a choice it's wrong because if they have a parent that is demented and wants them to have the vaccine they still don't have a choice um parents are supposed to take care of their children so it's really a form of, of child abuse um you just name it i mean you could you could build on these different three points one upon the other all the way up to infinity almost um so i wrote to the rabbis at chabad again <laughs> i haven't gotten an answer and this was about four or five days ago so um i'm really wondering if i'm going to get an answer uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, concerning recent events with children being uh, targeted and the fact that some rabbinical courts have found that it's forbidden to, for children to take this, how do you feel about it now? I know that before you said that if you you should ask your doctor and take medical advice, but that's really stacking the deck, isn't it? Because most doctors have been brainwashed and indoctrinated or they fear for their license that they decide to tell everybody to take the vaccine. My own doctor did that. And I finally straightened him out. I said, you know, for religious reasons, I'll take it. And after that, he goes, well, I, I wish you would have told me that to begin with. I wouldn't have these arguments with you. I said, okay. Anyway, um, so um, forcing it at all on anybody, children, adults, elderly, is wrong, Okay. That's all there is to it. It's wrong. And but when you take the the elderly and those that are younger than um, 18 who cannot make the decision for themselves, although unless if they're going to take the shot, then they can make the decision for themselves. Isn't that funny? They can't go to a liquor store, which I'm glad they can't drive, which I'm really glad. Um, but they can go to war at 18 and even earlier if their parents allow it to happen um and you know and parents can't discipline their kids anymore they can't do anything without the parents realizing that maybe they'll go to jail if they discipline their child because the state will intervene the whole thing's the state okay the state is corrupt has been for many years so with all those threats and everything they can step in and do anything they want to with your children as sad as that sounds and as bad as that sounds, it's true. And if they really wanted to, they can do it tomorrow uh, against your wishes, no matter what you say. <laughs> but um, they're just trying to go around it because they're trying to look like the good guys. Okay. And they're not. They're, they're sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing that are out to destroy you and your family. Okay. Anyway. Um, so what I did is I got on this site and it's, um, I got it on it via this doctor that practices in New York state. And he practiced in a, um, a Jewish community. I can't remember the name of it, but when we listen to that video, you will hear the name. Um, and his claims were, <clears throat> I could have the numbers wrong, but he said that they treated over 3000 people in that community for COVID and only lost three. And he attributes that to, um, using safe medical practices, of course, but but also using um, 
treatments that are not sanctioned by the FDA for COVID-19. And that's called off-label in the pharmacy world. Okay, it's off-label. Uh, for instance, um, trying to think of an off-label drug here real quick. That's used. Um, oh, there's one of the, uh, you know what, I'll just wait till I remember it. It'll click sometime during the show and I'll just break in and say it. Um, but many drugs are for one thing and they help with other things. Okay, and those are called off-label uses. Okay, I got one for you. There's a, a powder called cholesteramine, and it's it was originally developed for cholesterol. Okay. However, they found that when people with high cholesterol took it, and if they had digestive problems, that it helped to kind of firm things up a little bit, if you know what I mean. And it kind of cured diarrhea in those people. So they would take it, and it had a twofold. Now, at first, it was for the... the uh, the cholesterol in the blood. It might have been triglycerides. I can't remember. Um, but then it had a second use that it was not created for. That's called off-label. Now, when they start realizing that this stuff works, then they'll put it on the label. Okay? And um, it, it could remain off-label for 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden, bam, it's on-label for that. Or for that indi- that's indicated for that, that particular ailment. Sorry, folks. I'm a little out of breath. Um Got some stuff going on. But anyway, so if I, my voice sounds a little shaky or something, that's why. I'm not trying to mimic Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, God bless him, man. That guy's amazing. Um, so where do you go with this? So anyway, I got on there, listening to this doctor talk, and then all of a sudden I realized he was affiliated with this other group. And this doctor had spoken to uh, a group of rabbis that were in a rabbinical court, and his testimony, along with others, helped to convince the rabbinical court that uh, this COVID-19 vaccine, the mRNA and the uh, virus vector vaccines, are garbage that people are injecting into their body. Not just garbage, but poison. And they've realized it now, and they're coming out with uh, delineations uh, against it. Uh, basically, those are um, a, a set of commandments for the Jewish community of what not to do. And I have it somewhere, and hopefully we'll get to it tonight. Maybe I should try to get to it first thing and read it, and then you can see what the determination was, and then we'll go back to the testimonies of the people that talk, and you can see why the the courts, the uh, rabbinical courts, chose to ban and um, forbid the COVID-19 vaccines. Now, I'm hoping this catches on like wildfire because, um, how do I put this? The, The Muslim community is very much um, like the Jewish community. I mean, we're talking different gods here and everything else, but um, but the way they think and the way they, I don't want to say that because it makes, them, makes the Jews sound like a bunch of uh, religious fanatics, but their basis, their foundation is kind of built on, on scripture and other things, and then it went to the, the Quran and then to um, other, um, like, excuse me, Islamic works. And um, so I can see this catching on like wildfire with them, you know, especially with the animosities and the jealousies that go, hey, the Jews are trying to save their lives. Let's try to save ours, too. So, you know, um, so we can live another day to fight them. So maybe this will catch on with them and they'll start resisting and saying, no, we're not taking this crap. Okay. so anyway, what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you, I'm going to make myself small over here. 
go up here and I am going to try to find the, uh, so bear with me while I bounce around here. Nope, that's not it. Okay, go back. There is that document that I want to read to you. It's on the Jerusalem one. No, it's not on the Jerusalem one. If you ever see me in a um, supermarket, don't get in the line I'm in, okay? Because what happens is the line I'm in, there's always like an older lady writing a check there, and she forgot how to sign or whatever. Um, I know this thing is here. Please bear with me. <laughs> is Brooklyn dead? Look at, no, I looked at Brooklyn already. Okay. I don't think it's at New York. Oh, yes, it is right there. Okay, I'm going to click. Oh, I hope it doesn't open it up in a new tab. If it does, I'll just read it to you, okay? It opened it up in a new tab. But I picked the Hebrew one, and I don't want that. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and read this to you. Um, it says, Official Translation of the Halaic. Um, Halaic. Uh, delineation rendered and signed on the 22nd of Marcheshvan after hearing eight hours of testimony from experts and other witnesses with partial additional elaboration. It says, by the grace of the Almighty, 26th of Marcheshvan, uh, and a lot of places, a lot of Jews just call it Cheshvan, okay? Uh, 5782, November, which was November 1st, 2021. It says, we the undersigned convene together to render judgment regarding the new COVID-19 vaccine, which we shall henceforth refer to as injection, vaccine, or mRNA, although our intentions is to also include the adeno vector uh, DNA vaccine as well. And we heard testimonies from experts. Let me see if I can enlarge this a little bit so I'm not here. Oh, it's beautiful. <clears throat> Testimonies from experts whose expertise is in this field. We also heard from doctors who invented and manufactured mRNA, <clears throat> who testified as to its function. Most doctors and medical practitioners are not experts in these matters at all. And from our experience, as well as our, our experience, and as is well known, they merely relate to the information provided to them by the National Institute of Health, CDC, and, ex, and others, etc. Uh, they illustrated to us the profound danger and harm inherent in this new technology. They showed us how the governmental agencies and the pharmaceutical companies denied this fact and how they concealed the data, making it so difficult for the public to realize the severe, the severe adverse reactions and mortalities that have befallen so many people who received the injection. We are also, we're, we're also made privy to how they withhold information the said information through various uh, means, preventing the injuries and death from being publicized by the media or on the internet, internet as known. We also heard testimonies from our fellow Jews who suffered injuries and even worse, heaven, for, heaven forfend, and also how this injection is harmful to procreation and fertility. And most importantly, we heard how they are testing, they, they are tested and simple medications that have been successfully in, successful in treating this disease, yet the governmental agencies have denied this 
and even outlawed the said medications, doing everything they can to promote fear, not health, despite the fact that they themselves were aware that these medications work. And now they have approved the mRNA for children as well, for whom it is universally known and it is accepted fact that the disease presents no risk of danger and their intention is to mandate the injection for children as a requisite for attending yeshivas, religious schools, schools, heaven forbid. The evidence presented, which includes reports of injuries actually due to the vaccine or reasonably suspected to be due of the vaccine, as well as scientific knowledge suggested, suggesting the vaccine will cause or may reasonably be suspected to cause harm until proven to the contrary by adequate testing, provides a level of concern that exceeds halachic um, standards. Therefore, we hereby express our rabbinic decision as per teachings in our, our holy Torah as definitive halachic ruling. It is absolutely forbidden to administer or even pr to promote this injection to children, adolescents, young men or women, even if it means that they will not be permitted by the government to attend the yeshiva uh, or seminary or to study abroad, etc. It is an explicit obligation to protest against this mandate. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, and, and anyone who can prevent the injection from being forced upon our youth must do so forthrightly and emphatically. The above admonition is in addition to the otherwise allegedly uh, responsible uh, nature of the in injection <clears throat> due to its allegedly Pro problematic ingredients due to the fact that it, there is no one liable for the possible damages caused by the injection, unlike most other contemporary medical treatments and therapies, and because administering the injection to one's child assists the government into forcing other children to take it as well. Number two, much harm appears to be caused <clears throat> to pregnant women as a result of the injection, possibly due to antibodies that are uh, the body develops against the protein called syncytin uh, 1 or uh, from the SM102 or from the micro blood clots caused by the injection. The common denominator here is that it's harmful for, harmful for the pregnant woman and that it may be considered a violation of the prohibition of sterilization in preventing fertility. As such, it is forbidden for them to take this injection Included in this are all healthy adults who are of childbearing age. That's you guys, too. Okay. Guys included. That they should stay away from the said injection. There are many reports of women who did not stop bleeding for months as a result of taking the injection, making it impossible for them to achieve ritual purity, heaven forbid. And for men, there are many reports of the injection leading to deficiencies in potency, heaven forbid significant follow-up and acknowledgement. We have been advised that the product label for the Pfizer injection states available data on comirnaty administered to pregnant women are insufficient to inform the vaccine-associated risks of pregnancies. We have also been advised that the CDC is conducting studies where there is an urgent need to study the effect of the vaccines in pregnancy. We have been further advised that the product label for the Pfizer vaccine states that it has not been evaluated for the potential cause of carcinogenicity, uh, genotoxicity, or impairment of male fertility. We consider that the risk inherent in these statements is hilariously unacceptable. 
<clears throat> Number three, for older adults and the elderly, further clarification is needed, but as mentioned above, there are efforts to obscure data and it is presently difficult to obtain accurate clarification. <clears throat> However, practically we have seen, the seen breakthrough cases indicating that there is no substantial difference between those who received the mRNA and those who did not. The number of COVID patients are about the same comparatively in both demographics. It has also come to our attention thanks to the testimony of an attorney who closely monitors the promulgation of misinformation who showed us how to interpret the true reality and frequency of injuries and mortalities from the data being shared. It should be known that much of the government, much of the data the government agencies report is deceitful. For example, a COVID death that occurs in a person after receiving the injection, if it happens to be within 14 days of receiving the injection, is listed as an unvaccinated death. For the sake of brevity, we will not go into further particulars, but let us suffice to say that there are more examples of this gross misrepresentation. In order to ascertain the truth and arrive at the accurate findings, we really must examine the matter further to the best of our ability. Alternately, there are many injuries and risks involved, which can reasonably be suspected to have been caused by the injection for adults and senior citizens as well. Uh, for we have witnessed many elders who passed away shortly after receiving the mRNA. Therefore, it is best to err on the side of caution and to abstain from taking the injection rather than endangering one's life by performing an action that can endanger immediate and direct harm, engender immediate and direct harm, especially since there are other medical treatments that work, as mentioned, and they are not harmful. <clears throat> It is also proper to emphasize that the importance of using the treatments very early, which has been shown to enhance their effectiveness. <clears throat> In addition, we cannot undertake or not understand the importance of becoming more educated about the true facts. For, for example, we have heard testimonies from individuals. Oh, wait a minute. For example, by watching the testimonies and in this way, assuaging the fear that has taken over so many. Number four, we have heard testimonies from individuals and from experts in the medical field suggesting that it may be dangerous for pregnant women to be around people who have been who have had the injection. This can be due to the phenomena called shedding as it pertains to some types of vial vaccinations and gene therapies as discussed in the FDA's guidance on shedding from gene therapies. It is unclear whether it applies to the gene product only the spike protein, or also to the genetic message, the mRNA or the adenovirus vector. It is unclear how long the shedding might take place, i.e., or for example, how many recipients, how long a recipient of the injection can affect pregnant women by being in her proximity. Hence, it is best to err on the side of caution. A minimum recommendation of distancing oneself from a pregnant woman for at least two weeks after receiving the injection is strongly suggested, although some have suggested that the effect may last up to 10 months or may even be indefinite. The prohibition of Leviticus 1914, of putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person, that is, assisting or enabling a person to violate a transgression, includes verbal encouragement, offering monetary incentives or other bribes, uh, verbal pressure or actual threats 
to coerce employees, etc., to receive the mRNA. In all the above, we have taken into account the tragedies that must have that have already befallen our, our community members, not long-term effects, promotions, and frightening forecasts expressed in many of the testimonies we heard. Uh, <clears throat> may the Almighty save us. May the one who said enough when creating the world say enough to our suffering. Signed, okay, um, Harav Shlomo Alexander Halevi Pollock, Diane and Diane, excuse me, and More Zedek, <clears throat> Harav Yoel Moshi Friedman, Diana Mora Zedek, okay, and Harav Doniel Yonason Green, Diane and Diane, excuse me, and More Zedek, and all three of those persons are Halaic authorities, members of the rabbinical court. So there you go. There's the. Heleic delineation concerning the mRNA and the viral factor um, injections on members of the Jewish community anyway, but this should apply to everybody. And I think in the long term, in the long run, it does. Okay. This just isn't a Jewish document. But this, what this is saying, it's a crime against the Jewish community, but it's also a crime against the uh, <clears throat> crime against humanity. Okay, of which Judaism is a part of. Okay, so now that we've looked at that, let's go here. Actually, this is right where I wanted to be. So we're going to look at some testimonies. Now, Dr. Robert W. Malone is actually the man who created the technology for mRNA. Okay, he has downplayed this vaccine. He is, um, lack of better words, repented of having invented it. Um, especially for the way it's being used now. <clears throat> and um, he is trying his best to fight against what the uh, what Big Pharma and the government are trying to do to people all around the world, including the Jewish community. So you're going to see him testifying in front of a, a board of rabbis, and he explains everything quite succinctly. Um, after that, we'll listen to Thomas Renz, who's a, an attorney, who's been looking at all the false information and garbage that's been spread around there. After that, uh, around everywhere, actually, Dr. Christiane Northrup is going to talk about women's issues. And Dr. Jessica Rose is going to talk about, um, you know, I can't remember what she's going to talk about, but it's going to take up a good chunk of the show. So that so much so that, because I want to go through all this stuff. Okay. Now we won't do this on Monday night. Um, Brian and I will do something else, but I'll do a show. Uh, maybe as early as tomorrow night, and uh, which is Sunday. And uh, maybe if I don't hit Sunday, I'll hit Tuesday or, or Tuesday and Wednesday, however long it takes to get to this material. Because, you know, we have guys running around, guys and women, um, running around um, advocating for people of the world, you know. and But these people are advocating um, for the Jewish community, and which I happen to have a vested interest. So, um Anyway, so let's listen to Dr. Robert Lone and um, attorney Thomas Renz, then Dr. Uh, Christiane Northrup, and then Dr. Jessica Rose. Okay. I'll interject as I feel needed in here. and um, But they pretty well say it. So maybe we'll, after each speaker or something, uh, Dr. Malone, I think, is like four or five videos. Okay. <laughs> um, 
So uh, let's see. We started. I can't remember where we started. Let's look and see. We've been on for 28 minutes. Okay, that's not bad. <clears throat> All right. So let is let's start out with Dr. Robert Malone, and uh, the quality of these recordings, especially the audio, isn't the best. So please um, take that before you start watching, and know that um, they did the best they could. Okay. Here we go. My name is Robert Malone. I'm a physician scientist. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you, and I hope that the information that I share can help you with what I know to be a difficult decision. And it's a difficult decision for you as leaders of your religious community and leaders of moral leaders, I think, in a, in a more broad sense global moral leaders, really. I think that's part of your mission. So we have a kind of an individual challenge here in terms of, of rights of individuals to determine their own future and determine whether or not they wish to accept a medical procedure. I think this is a fundamental right of choice that the individual has over their own body. And you have uh, responsibilities to provide guidance for your community and then you have responsibilities to provide moral leadership, I believe, as do many religious leaders in this world um, for, the, for the entire population of the world. Um, and uh, I, in, in this environment, there's two voices that I'm not hearing enough of. I'm not hearing enough from the children that are being impacted by these decisions and how they're impacting them. And I'm not hearing enough from moral leaders. We're hearing a lot from scientists and bureaucrats and, and uh, politicians, but we're not hearing enough from our moral leadership. And I hope that I can help you to uh, think through these difficult decisions and, and help provide that moral leadership, which I believe is sorely lacking think that many of the issues that we're facing here are fundamentally moral issues. They're, they're big issues about the rights of individuals and the rights of society and the desire to contribute to um, the greater good, I think, is a very important moral imperative. But uh, that has the rights of the individual to control their own body and their Hello. own destiny. That's my personal opinion. Now, the, I'm understanding within your community that there's an important topic of who are the experts and who are the experts that are that merit um, uh, providing testimony and advice on these topics. And the challenge that you face in that you're hearing conflicting messages, Dr. McCullough for instance, just testified as one of the most eminent scholars and, and practicing physicians in the United States, if not the world, um, an enormous number of publications. And yet you're hearing very different messages from Dr. Fauci and other administrative leaders within the government that are subject to the uh, pressures and the politics of uh, um, national leadership uh, within the U.S. government. Uh, I suggest for your consideration that 
what one observes is many physicians, frontline physicians, that are doing their job as best they can on a daily basis are, are very deeply trained in following leadership and uh, the centralized communication and information provided by the Centers for Disease Control and Protection. That the challenge with relying on those types of information in the World Health Organization is that the information that those bodies rely on is typically about four to six months out of date. People like Dr. McCullough and myself, in contrast, and many others, GERD is another one, um, operate in an environment in which we're constantly looking at the latest publications, the latest data, the latest trends, while listening to frontline physicians about what they're encountering. What this results in is a situation in which the official um, guidance that's provided to practicing physicians uh, that are just trying to do their job on a daily basis is typically about four to six months out of date. And in a rapidly moving pandemic or epidemic, what I've seen as somebody who has been involved in managing these and leading in technology space and application uh, for 30 years now. What I observe again and again and again is that these large governmental organizations typically lag in their response to the actual data by many months. They, they rely on consensus decision-making and they rely on what they believe to be fully verified data. And so as a consequence, they're providing directions in this case, for instance, to practicing physicians based on information that, for instance, is largely coming from the original strains of the virus. And because that information takes a long time to get processed and then determined as policy. And what we've had, unfortunately, is that the scenario that Dr. Van den Bosch has been envisioning is coming to pass in real time. And we're seeing the evolution, the selection of new viral variants under the pressure of these vaccines that are escaping the ability of the vaccines to control that infection. So we know of this is Delta. Now there's Delta Plus is moving rapidly into the population. And the, there is a reasonable prospect that you will see a wave of infection here in New York and throughout the states from Delta Plus later on this winter. So what to do about it? That's the challenge we all face. And how, how can you guide your community to do this? And right now, in my opinion, the um, leading edge of this very difficult decision has to do with whether or not you believe that it's appropriate to vaccinate your children and the children in your community. I believe that is both a moral challenge and a uh, scientific technical challenge to work through that decision. I believe that the decision is fairly straightforward. Um, and this, I'm, I wish to read into your record a declaration from thousands of physicians that have uh, developed this as a consensus statement 
This is the same group of over 10,000 physicians worldwide that developed the physician's declaration in Rome and have endorsed that. That's the declaration that we believe that physicians have the right to practice medicine. Um, and that specifically relates to early treatment and the efforts that have been made to stop uh, physicians like Dr. Zelenko and Peter and many others from practicing medicine as they see fit to save their patients' lives. So regarding this resolution, we believe that healthy children should not be forced to vaccinate. The reason for that are that there, that there are negligible clinical risks from the virus, as Peter has just enumerated with you, that the, vi the vaccines provide little, if any, clinical protection for most children that the risk of severe and life-threatening adverse events from the vaccines far outweigh any theoretical benefits in terms of providing protection to children from these vaccines from the circulating virus. The children generally do not get life-threatening disease from this virus. Their immune systems are better than ours. They have innate immunity and other assets in their immune response that those of us that are elders, um, as our immune systems age, they become less effective. But the immune systems in ch our children are very potent and very able to take care of this virus with few exceptions. Please keep in mind that there has been in the range of 400 deaths total in children since the beginning of this outbreak that the CDC is able to attribute to this virus. And remember that that means deaths with the virus, not necessarily deaths from the virus. That's an important distinction because every single one of these children have pre-existing conditions, major pre-existing health problems. So this virus is not a cause of disease and death in children. Now, in contrast, the respiratory syncytial virus is, and we heard from the press and the CDC, a lot of fear about viruses and filling hospitals at the beginning. You'll recall this a few months ago and how the children were filling the hospitals in the southern states. That was all false information. That was due to respiratory syncytial virus, which, by the way, is another lab escape virus that happened in the 1950s. That's how that virus got into the population. That virus kills young people. This virus does not. The long-term safety of current COVID vaccines in children cannot be determined. How do we know that they can't be determined? Because we know that there has not been that much time, just the same as the risks in pregnancy cannot be determined. The risks of birth defects cannot be determined. I'm not saying that there is major risks in pregnancy or risks of birth defects. I'm not saying there isn't. What I'm saying is we don't know. The data don't exist. They can't exist because we haven't had enough time for that to elapse and determine what those risks are associated with the vaccine. So it's very simple. Secondly, we're resolved that naturally immune persons recovered from SARS-CoV-2 shall not be subject to any restrictions or vaccine mandates. As Peter said, and I've experienced personally, I'm a, I'm a COVID-recovered individual. I was infected in the late February 2020, and I had long COVID, and then I accepted the vaccine, Moderna in my case, and I had a response that is... Um, 
not that unusual. I developed hypertension with a systolic of over 220. So serious hypertension that was life-threatening. Fortunately, it was controlled after vaccination. I also developed after vaccination central nervous system symptoms. And this is common, particularly for people that have already had the infection. The infection, if recovered, which that's another one of my key messages, please understand that we have been subjected to fear, constant fear, constant information, pushing fear, pushing fear into our children, pushing fear into our families, pushing fear into our communities. We've been bombarded with it. And here in New York, of course, you've experienced the direct effect of the first wave, which was enormously threatening. But the truth is that if you're under 65 and you don't have major pre-existing conditions like morbid obesity, which I don't see any more morbid obesity on this table at all, the probability of you being hospitalized or dying from this virus is significantly less than 1%. In the highest risk categories, it moves up to about 5% risk of mortality. So many people believe that if they get infected, and I believe this when I was infected in February of 2020, I thought I was going to die because that's what we've all been told, all this fear. The truth is that overwhelming majority of all of us will recover just fine and we will develop natural immunity. Natural immunity is more protective and lasts longer and it's better in terms of selection of virus escape mutants than the vaccine induced immunity, which is against a single protein. And that is why these viruses are able to evolve to escape that type of immunity against that single protein. Okay, so I wanted to really get across this isn't in the prepared talks, but it was an opportunity to make the point. We have to overcome this fear in, in, and I believe that this is something that we can give to all of our communities by acting locally, by providing information, and in your cases, by providing guidance to, to your families and those that are, are under your guidance is, is let's drop the fear this is not Ebola. This is not a high, highly lethal virus. We've been giving all this message that it is, but it is not a highly lethal virus. There are more children that die from influenza typically than die from this virus or die with this virus, I should say. And I particularly focused on the children right now because of the current situation and the pressure from the government to vaccinate all the children. So, Natural immunity um, is superior to uh, vaccine-induced immunity, both in terms of duration and breadth. It is the most protective and longest lasting against the development of the disease and more serious outcomes. Naturally immune persons are at the lowest risk of transmission, should not be subject to travel, professional, medical, or social restrictions. Natural immunity provides the best source of herd immunity. This nirvana that we all seek where we can go back to normal and and as a population we're no longer bombarded by the disease caused by this virus is herd immunity we all wish to achieve that and the logic of accepting vaccine on behalf of the community i think is noble and i wish that we had a vaccine that was sufficiently effective and sufficiently safe 
that those that in 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 the nobility of their own choice wish to accept the risk of that vaccine for the benefit of the community i wish that 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 gesture that they're making voluntarily in most cases i hope unfortunately in many cases it's mandated i wish that that was a gesture that would lead us to this goal that we all seek which is herd immunity unfortunately these vaccines now that the virus has evolved to escape them will not get us there so people are accepting this risk out of the goodness of their heart um, for the purpose of the community and it's not doing any good it's not providing benefit it's not achieving the objective health agencies should be prohibited from interfering with physicians ability we as a community believe that all health agencies and institutions shall cease interfering with physicians treating individual patients um, Dr. Zelenko, within your community, is clearly one of the world leaders that have pioneered early treatments. We're all very grateful for his leadership, and yet he's been subjected to enormous pressure from political forces, from the press, etc., derision, um, even threats. And this must stop, we believe. Health agencies must be prohibited from interfering with physicians. No medicine already given regulatory approval shall be restricted from use, off-label use, and early intervention with numerous agents, including those that Dr. Zelenko has identified, ones that I've identified that are currently in clinical trials funded by the U.S. Army, um, and many others that have been identified all over the world, can be used. The good news about this virus is that it has two phases in the disease and not everybody gets the second phase. The viral phase is the first part is more like influenza and it lasts for five to seven days. That is not what kills you. What kills you is your body's response to that virus and to the virus fragments that remain in circulation after that period of time. This hyperinflammatory response is what destroys your lungs and destroys your other organs and causes you to go to the hospital and be subjected to the drugs and the procedures that they perform in the hospital. The good news is that the pharmaceutical companies have developed fantastic anti-inflammatory agents. And by the way, one of the ones that works quite well is called aspirin. Aspirin, this is a disease of blood clotting and aspirin is a very good initial agent that's known to be safe that prevents blood clotting and also blocks now i'm going to get a little technical this is this is virology molecular biology talk um the virus specifically turns on a a a promoter a switch in the genes of those that get infected and it's called cox2 the virus has two different pathways that it uses to turn on that inflammation. One of them happens to be spike protein based. Okay, so there's two pathways that the virus uses to turn on COX-2. COX-2 then triggers a whole cascade of inflammation. And that cascade of inflammation in somebody like myself that already has some pro-inflammatory state, perhaps because I'm a little heavier than I should be, or I have allergies and these other things, causes this cascade, this self-feedback cascade that triggers the overall disease that damages your lungs and your body. 
So COX-2 is one of the inciting events. The virus turns it on. Aspirin is a COX-1 and COX-2 inhibitor. It also blocks platelet aggregation, and this is largely a disease of platelet aggregation. I mention this just because this is one of very many anti-inflammatory agents that are available. And again, I acknowledge Dr. Zelenko and Peter Richard Urso, uh, Pierre Corey, many other leaders that have developed these protocols for staged intervention with existing drugs to stop the inflammatory cascade. When you add those things together, we can save the elders if we treat them early, as Dr. Zelenko has been teaching us. So a lot of this fear also about the risks of the elders is artificial. It's about the risks in elders who are not well treated. And so this is one of my other messages, I hope a gift to you. And it's one that I'm trying to emphasize with communities all around the world right now is in this environment right now, where for whatever reason, physicians are discouraged from treating patients in the outpatient environment, which is frankly bizarre. I've never heard of any of this. You have medical providers in your community. I'm sure they're all committed to providing treatments as soon as possible to patients when they start to develop disease. And that's the big lesson here is if you do provide treatments early on in the course of this disease, you'll keep your people out of the hospital in the first place. So um, I suggest that there are many agents. We allow physicians to treat. We treat as early as possible. And that in preparation for what may be another wave of Delta Plus that may move through New York and your communities sometime later this winter is the current projections, you may wish to consider setting up local-based um, communities, chat groups, call centers, whatever, so that you can when somebody identifies or you can identify somebody that's starting to have symptoms, you can get early intervention to them with physicians oversight, and then you can follow up so that they have a contact so they're not left at home alone at risk of dying. Okay, folks, that was the first video. What did you think? I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. Remember, this is the guy that developed the mRNA technology. And I do believe he knows what he's talking about. Now, that was the longest of his videos, okay? <laughs> Probably the longest video we're going to have to listen to, okay? So you can see this guy has four parts. And we'll go until we get to about the two-hour mark, and then um, we'll continue on another day, another time. We've got a lot to go through here, okay? I've got a wealth of information from his first talk, okay, part one. And... Um, you can see the caring that he has, you know, and it's, he's very methodical, very meticulous. You know, he's, he, he goes bullet point to bullet point to bullet point to bullet point. You know, he doesn't go all over the place. And he's very, I really like the way he's, he's teaching these rabbis about the MRNA vaccine and about COVID in general. So let us, um, let's listen to part two and let's see how long. So part two. the declaration that will be shared with, Okay, part two is only 15 minutes. Okay, I'm going to try to get it from the beginning. You has 40 or 50. 
So the declaration that will be shared with you has 40 or 50 references that you can refer to. And I know that data and, and this kind of technical information is important to your community. Okay, so, so these references have been sorted into these three key points that I mentioned, that re the recovered immunity is durable, that physicians should be allowed to practice, and that vaccinating children means that you're gonna expose them to unnecessary risks. So with that, I'm, I hope that I haven't overstayed my welcome. I thank you for your attention. I hope this was helpful, and I'm glad to take any questions. So, um, with regard to hot um, information, um, you speak a little bit about the possibility of hot reduction that, that's not, um, doesn't become, if you go to a hospital but the child has a certain percentage of hot reduction uh, as damage from the vaccine, and also mental reduction. So, the, the damage that's been doing to our children through this pandemic is not just due to the virus. It's also due to the social isolation. Children and the fear, this constant fear that is being put on our children. So children need to have social interaction in order for their brains to grow and develop. Um, this is crucial. And there's now data showing that this cohort of children are having a significant reduction in measurable IQ, not just from the virus, but from all of this other social environment that we're placing them under, where they're constantly subjected to fear. The child that's, that's grasping their mother and afraid, having to wear a mask, always afraid whether or not their parents are going to die. All of this fear and fear and fear that's being put in our children is damaging their mental health. They're having depression. We're seeing a spike in child suicide that we've never seen before. It's shocking. The children are being harassed, the ones that have not accepted vaccination in their school environments. It, it is a huge tragedy. In addition to that, we, we, this, this signal, you've heard this word myocarditis. This is, this is a, a medical term. What it means is damage to the heart. And this damage to the heart is not fully understood, but it's clearly associated with the vaccines. Why is this damage to the heart been able to be seen in children and it does it happen in adults? The answer is because children have almost no heart disease without something else happening. In the, in the normal background, children don't have heart disease. And so when you start seeing heart disease in children, you know there's something wrong. We are seeing that signal of heart disease in children. And that was the first very clear signal that the CDC acknowledged. The data now are coming out more and more that this heart disease isn't just in children. It was just most easily seen in children. It also affects the adults. It affects the young adults. Heart disease in children um, in general is about six times higher than the risk of death in children associated with this virus. It's a small risk, but it is about six times higher than the risk of the associated with the virus itself. Unfortunately, it's also about three times higher in young men than it is in women. This probably has to do with androgens and one of the treatments for early intervention is an anti-androgen drug. So there seems to be something about androgens in males 
that contributes to a higher risk of this heart disease. Now, how significant is this? This is very hard to get information and you were asking appropriately for that information and Peter was basically in a position where he couldn't give it to you because it doesn't exist. Why doesn't exist? There's a, a it's a whole host of factors, but there are very strong disincentives for physicians to report these things to the CDC. It's a lot of paperwork. They get a lot of pushback. There's a lot of reasons not to report this and so it's being underreported. Now there are our leaders um, on investigative reporters, and I suspect we're going to be hearing from an attorney shortly that will speak to this. What we are starting to see in the global population, looking at all cause mortality, is there seems to be a spike in, in death, excess death, particularly excess cardiac death, in the U.S., Great Britain, and German databases. Why is this excess death that's over the baseline of of everything that's been seen before. We can't say whether how much of this is due to the virus and how much is due to the vaccine, but we definitely know that the vaccine is contributing to this. I hope I've answered your question. Um, in terms of the central nervous system problem, the, both the vaccine, well, uh, here I'm, we're just focusing on the vaccine, not the virus. The vaccine does affect um, the central nervous system. We do have symptoms of, we call it brain fog, these are consistent with opening the blood-brain barrier, which is a kind of a key protective wall that exists between things that are circulating in your blood and the special compartment of the brain. So in terms of damaging to the, to the thought process and the mental health of people, particularly children, we're having damage um, from the vaccine and we're also having damage from the policies that are isolating our children and subjecting them to fear. Have I answered your question? Yeah, yes. Um, just uh, you. Is there a, a, any data about the, how much IQ the kids are going down? I, I hesitate to say because I haven't reviewed the actual paper. What I've heard report is that it may be as much as twenty points. Twenty points. Um, with regards to the heart reduction, um, is there? Could you explain a little bit that you can vaccinate a, a bunch of kids and? Uh, and they actually they won't report with myocarditis, oh. but they will have they they will notice that in their performance they have a heart reduction ability. So you can have kids that you they they just lost their ability to so, play basketball. So he's speaking of when we talk about myocarditis in the CDC data, it's important to recognize that what the CDC is capturing is clinically significant myocarditis. So this is disease that's so bad that it's put a child in the hospital. If a child is in the hospital, as Peter testified, there is no such thing as mild carditis in the hospital. And it's important to recognize the heart does not heal. It does not regenerate its scars. And there are long-term consequences of having scars in your heart. Those can include this disease of sudden cardiac death due to aberrant electrical rhythms. Okay, so scarring of the heart is never trivial. It's never minor. That's a misnomer. Um, when a child or an adult goes to the hospital with a heart problem, that's, that's a severe problem. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. How do we know that? What we're hearing from the uh, 
the individuals that are in the athletic communities, the highly competitive individuals that are functioning at the very top level of their performance capabilities, and they're being monitored. These are professional athletes, triathletes, people like this, as well as, as military personnel that have to be very high performing physically. The reason these communities are so hesitant about accepting vaccine is they know that they can be monitored, they are being monitored, and after they accept vaccine, they're seeing numeric indicators that their function, their bodily function, their ability to perform and exert themselves and have stamina is being reduced. It's being reduced, you know, 10%, 15%. This is not clinically significant. It wouldn't put them in the hospital, but it can be monitored and recognized. So it appears that a large fraction of people are having some damage. Now, how else can we measure that? Well, if one monitors for this laboratory test called D-dimer, D-dimer is something in the blood that can be detected. And D-dimer is an indicator of the blood clotting problems that happen in the very small vessels, as opposed to the big clots that we're familiar with, like might occur in our pelvis and get thrown into our lungs. D-dimer measures very small clots. And it, it's known that D-dimer elevation is associated with the virus infection. But in about 60% of patients that receive vaccine, if you test for D-dimer beforehand and you test for D-dimer levels afterwards, the D-dimers are elevated after vaccine. So we clearly know that the vaccine is causing this small vessel coagulation, and the small vessel coagulation seems to be associated with the cardiac damage. Have I answered that question? Yes. Um, regarding uh, the ovaries, um, is, is there any data regarding the uh, effect that um, the vaccine could have on the ovaries? And also pregnancy, like the, the blood clots, since um, as, how significant could they be affecting the placenta and the development of a baby? So, so this question of why are we seeing these alterations in menses and why are we seeing, these are things we know are happening. They're not theoretical. There are alterations in menses. Your community knows that there's alterations in menses because you're monitoring those things, okay? So you know it's happening in the community that you that you help and that you serve. Um, the it's there there are data which were released by the Japanese government, but otherwise hidden by the U.S. FDA and the European Medicines Agency. They were submitted by Pfizer in association with its mRNA product, which now is called Comirnaty, and. Those data are often overinterpreted. What those data show is that this formulation, this product that's injected, has many parts. One of those parts is the RNA. The RNA makes the spike protein. Then there's a fat, like butter, that wraps around the RNA and makes it possible for the RNA to slip into cells. That fat is synthetic. It has been made in the laboratory. It's never been used widely in humans before. We don't know whether it's toxic or not toxic. What we do know from those Pfizer data is that this fat, after the injection is made, these fats end up accumulating in tissues that we wouldn't expect them to accumulate. One of those tissues is the ovary. Is this important? Is this chemical? that is accumulating in the ovary 
affecting ovarian function, and perhaps that might be part of what's going on with the menstruation. The answer is we don't have the data because the CDC and the FDA rushed everything, and they didn't ask the pharmaceutical companies to do the rigorous studies that they would normally do to answer this question. And so we don't have the information. I wish we did. So in response to your question about this, um, the potential risks associated with this new drug compound, these cationic lipids that are used to slip the RNA into cells, we don't know how safe it is or isn't. We do know that it accumulates in ovarian tissue. In terms of the placentation and uh, all of that, we know that these vaccines are causing small clots, small blood clots. We know that the placenta is a highly vascular organ and that the ability of blood to flow through the placenta is crucial for the ability to move oxygen and nutrients across the baby. So is this an effect which is triggering some of these phenomena like potentially spontaneous abortions in the first and second trimester or other things? Again, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know the answer, but it is a a plausible explanation for some of these phenomena. Thank you. Um, a question regarding the, because it's a mass production and different companies are producing it, there could be um, impurities that go into the production. You know, when, when a person receives the vaccine, they don't know what they're getting. And the storage, perhaps there was improper storage uh, throughout the custody. So a person can be getting a vaccine that's no longer viable and actually may perhaps dangerous. As a, and then the delivery, there's a small chance that it could be delivered into the wrong way. And also that, that could be another mechanism of damage. So the, I'm going to take the last one and then go backwards in your questions, best of my ability. The um, inadvertent administration of the mRNA vaccine products. And remember of the three products available in the United States for vaccines, the J&J adenovirus vectored vaccine, which is also a gene therapy technology applied to vaccinology, the adenovirus that has the highest number of adverse events per dose of any of the three of these. Okay, so we should just focus on the mRNA. But in terms of the mRNA, there's a series of mouse studies that show that if you inject the mRNA formulations into the tail vein of the mouse, you reproducibly get large areas of damage to the heart of the mouse. And we have this observation of heart damage in people and children and so is this related to inadvertent direct administration of the formulation through the veins of the body as opposed to into the tissue of the muscle and then slow release? Um, and that is a formal possibility that that's driving part of that. Okay, we talked about that <clears throat> the other night, folks. I don't know if you remember, but or if you even watched the show, but... Um, being a nurse, what they taught us in school and what we did in our practice, whenever you give a shot, a muscular shot, what you do is you put the needle in and you draw back a little. And if you see blood in that, you don't give that medication, okay? Or in this case, you don't give the um, the virus um, vaccination or the uh, mRNA, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
because you're not injecting it into a muscle, you're injecting it directly into the system, the blood system of a person. And depending on what medication is or vaccine, it could be deadly. And there is a, um, an idea or a, a theory that injecting it that way and not drawing back and checking to see if there's blood in it, many people are getting injected it into their veins or these even small veins in your in your arm. And it's going directly to the heart and directly to the other organs because that's where the blood goes. It goes into the heart, it goes to the lungs, and it goes to the all the um, uh, the organs, the uh, the liver, the kidney, the spleen, the whole nine yards. You know, and isn't it interesting that what they're finding out is that damage to the heart, damage to the liver, damage to the spleen, damage to the kidneys, all these are happening. So it's quite a possibility that. You know, these um, these vaccines are being injected directly into the bloodstream. That doesn't make it safe to direct direct them into the muscle by any means. But it's, you know, it's like a death sentence. <laughs> and and so um, I was talking with a friend the other day, and she, she was talking with, um, oh, I can't remember, an EMT, I think. And the EMT had um, been tasked to go give uh, mRNA injections, you know, um, Pfizer or Moderna. I don't know which one, but, um, and she said, well, did you draw back? Aspirate is the name of the word. You aspirate the syringe a little bit. And she said, what's that? Or he said, no, I'm sorry. He said, what's that? We haven't been taught to do that with this injection. Matter of fact, we were told not to do it. Now it's kind of suspicious. Now, there's one of two reasons that I could think of that they would do that. The one reason would be that you want to take your chances that it's going to kill off as many people as possible for untrained people or people that do not aspirate to maybe hit a vein and kill the population, you know, or, or a great deal of the population, or um, you just want to give the vaccine to so many people so quickly that you don't care if they aspirate, which is again, criminal. Okay, that was a very blatant thing that they taught us in nursing school. You know, you don't give that injection if you don't aspirate. So anyway, I'll leave that with you. And remember, folks, once it goes in, you can't get it out. When it comes to uh, vaccines and anything injected into the body. Okay, it's there and it's going to do what it's got to do. And if you put it in the wrong place, God help you. Okay. So, let's see. Oh, what did you do, David? Okay, that's what you got to do. All right, there. All right, so we watched part one and part two. Part three is another short one, and part four is very short. So, and we're doing pretty good on time. I just checked that. So, um, let's go ahead and watch Dr. Malone, Robert Malone, um, testify to some more before, testify some more before a uh, rabbinic court and help them to make the decision of that document that I read at the beginning of the show. So here we go, Dr. Malone again. Why are they rushing it for children? If it's not licensed still, as of now, what is the reason what they are giving to rush it for children? There's no, there's no a mandate for children here. I there's no risk, it's not licensed, so what is now? I agree with you, I think. Personally, I think this is madness. I do not think this is science-based. I think it's fear-based. I think that there's a lot of people 
that are driven crazy by fear and they feel like they have to have something and they've been told the children are a threat to them. The children are not a threat to them, but many people in the population in general believe these fear stories. They believe that the children are a threat to them, are a threat to their grandparents, are a threat to their teachers, and they're not. Okay, let me interject something here before we go any further. I happen to know some people that uh, foster care and uh, they're very dear to me. And they weren't going to take the uh, the injection, the jab. They weren't going to take it. But then they figured that they have four or five, however many they have, foster children in the house. These kids all go to school. And they could bring them the virus back to them or give it to the other children or something like that. So they decided to go ahead and get vaccinated um, for the children. Okay. And again, that's a very noble thing to do. You want to protect children that are under your care. But at the same time, on the flip side of this, if the children aren't threatened by the virus, why give it to them? Okay. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But this guy is really starting to unlock some doors that I think are really going to rattle a bunch of people. And like I said, what happens with this community here, this Jewish community, is going to start taking off everywhere in our society. You watch. You mark my words. Here we go. Let's continue. The only reason they would be a threat to their teachers and their grandparents is because the vaccine doesn't work. Right. And that that's a true fact. But it's not the children that are driving the problem. And vaccinating the children, as Gert has said, is just going to make the problem worse. We have problem of what is right and ethical for the person and whether or not mandating somebody to accept a product is morally correct, I believe it's not. We have a question of what's right for the community. Is vaccinating children really gonna make your community safer? The answer is not. It's actually gonna create risk for your children. And then we have the problem of the broader human population. Is vaccinating children gonna provide benefit for that? And the answer, as Gert has testified, is that it's actually gonna drive the development of higher pathogenicity, higher infectivity, vaccine escaping mutants. So it fails on all steps. And I strongly disagree with the decisions that are being made about this. And thank you. Okay. Another good deal of testimony. And we go into number four or four. Here we go, folks. If the children will get vaccinated, that means you'll, you'll, you won't get herd immunity. That is my belief. It will only be on the Delta or Delta Plus. And... Precisely. And then the other problem that we haven't spoken about that the Israeli data, unfortunately, has taught all of us is that the protection, to the extent that there is protection, is very short-lived. So then we have to revaccinate and revaccinate. The problem with revaccinating and revaccinating is a whole nother thing, which is that you can induce what's called high zone tolerance. You can actually tolerize against the antigen by repeatedly vaccinating like this. So you can actually make things worse. This is why we can't just rely on, on politicians and authority figures saying, oh, we don't have the data, but you should go ahead and take another jab. Um, that is a really important that requires that we have data showing safety because there's a good chance and in any of you who have children that have allergies that have had to take allergy shots 
that's a good example of inducing tolerance against an antigen. That's how that works. And this is why we shouldn't repeatedly vaccinate. In addition, each time we ad administer the vaccine, we're administering risk to the child or the parent. And it doesn't go away just because they didn't have a bad adverse event like I did after two vaccinations doesn't mean they're not going to have it after three vaccinations. It's a roll of the dice each time. So with this policy, we have short-term activity of the vaccines. Then we have to have revaccination. Each time we have another risk of, of incurring damage to children or to the adults that accept the vaccine. If when we have the, uh, like say, um, uh, vaccine escape or immune escape, will other medicines work? So that seems, and if you look like carefully, manicon, if, you, if, if you listen carefully to the messaging coming even from Dr. Fauci, he's saying, and, and from Pfizer, Pfizer is saying this directly, the only way we're going to get out of this is with medicines now. We cannot vaccinate our way out of this pandemic. And the problem is that the medicines that are newly being developed that will be very expensive so far don't work very good. But these approaches of anti-inflammatory agents seem to have significant benefits um, as observed by physicians that are actually practicing and including Dr. Zelenko. Are there gonna be additional agents? Hopefully over time, but we cannot vaccinate our way out one of the good news is, is that um, we have these antibody cocktails that are licensed, are able to be administered early after infection. But I just come back from the state of Hawaii where I did an intervention. This was not a vacation. Um, and, uh, and I learned there that in Hawaii, they now have over 5% of the population are infected with Delta Plus. Delta Plus is moving through that island nation. And as a consequence, the federal government has now determined that it will no longer allow shipment of one of the two antibody cocktails into Hawaii because the virus has already escaped the ability of one of those two cocktails to control the virus. So we're now down to just the Regeneron cocktail that has activity against Delta Plus. So that's another specific example of the virus evolving to escape. The problem with these antivirals like Pfizer is developing and in Merck is developing that are both chain, either chain terminators like AZT or protease inhibitors is that a single drug that is an antiviral is probably also going to elicit virus escape mutants in the same way, just as AIDS did. And so we're in a, we're in a box where we're going to have to come, if we are going to have effective antivirals, we're going to have to have multiple effective antivirals to deploy at the same time. Otherwise, we're just going to have the same exact problem again. Have I answered your question? Yeah. Yeah. One more question. It's a quick question. Yes, sir. Um, you've, you, you seem to have said that um, the data in the United States is being suppressed on the one hand, and you've also said that the, there's no incentive for the uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies to do the studies. Perhaps they're disincented, and that's why they're not putting out certain products. But if there's no incentive for them to do the studies, and if we can't trust the data in the United States, can we trust the data? Are there any countries we can? And how are we going to get? How are we supposed to get reliable data? Is it does it exist? Is it in the works? 
that will now allow us to make decisions. In general, and I've said this now for months, I, I'm asked by investors these kinds of questions. Where can we get good data that's going to predict what's going to happen because they're making market decisions for stock investments? And I've said all along the best data is going to come out of the Netherlands and out of the Scandinavian countries because they have, like Sweden, Finland, because they have excellent public health systems and they have, are legally allowed to track data on their patients in ways that we aren't. And the problem with Israel is it's, it, we had the CDC and many of us had hoped that the Israeli data would, would be rigorous and accurate. And we now are hearing again and again, reports of data manipulation, um, uh, data that's being deleted and structural disincentives in the Pfizer contract that make it difficult for the Israeli government to be fully transparent about the data. So that's, that's a problem of, as you know, what's transpired, I, my heart goes out to the people of Israel and, and what they've been subjected to and what they're experiencing right now. They truly are a testing laboratory for Pfizer, to be blunt, and um, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. Many people believe that the data from Iceland is the best right now, in answer to your question. Okay. Thank you for your time. I hope that was helpful. I did my best. Thank you. Wow. He hopes it was helpful. It was amazing. <laughs> Folks, if you have, let's just say that you bought a, Ah, a Ford. I like Fords. So we'll say Ford. And you got the guy. Let's say that Robert Malone was the chief architect and um, tester and everything else of uh, Ford, F, the F-Series pickups, okay? He's going to know every little thing about that, right? Everything that could go wrong, everything that could go right. Um he's going to have a knowledge about it. He's going to try to fix the things that are wrong before the truck goes into production. And later on, when people start calling up and saying, Hey, you know, I got this diesel truck and it's, uh, when I'm going down the freeway and put on the accelerator, you know, it bucks and then it drives fine and bucks. And he's going to know that that's a pressure sensor. And, and, and he's going to say, say to Ford, okay, we need to call back all the trucks and replace the pressure sensor, okay? That's called a recall. We see them all the time in the car industry. Okay, let's let's switch it over to the medical field, okay? You got this guy that created the mRNA technology, knows it backwards, inside out, upside down, the whole nine yards, seeing the inherent flaws in what they're doing and crying out, hey, what you're doing is wrong. We need to fix this. And they're going, no, that's okay. You know, it's just... Uh, probably just a little air in the in the fuel line and it'll go away well you know it keeps happening and the truck breaks down pretty soon and and uh, the owner of the truck the you know the person that bought it has to spend two three thousand dollars to get it fixed which is unfair right there's a lot of parallels in those two different scenarios okay um so here you have the guy that's saying hey this is wrong you know these are the dangers that accompany this uh, they rushed it through. They, you know, it's just like the car makers. They used to rush things through. You know, it used to be American cars. You couldn't buy them anymore because they were so faulty. 
but then they realized that they were losing the market and then they they fixed things and the thing got things got better and now they're some of the best cars you can buy i know some of you argue with me about that with your toyota and and uh, honda fans especially um but uh no america's put out good cars though but the thing is that it, had they taken more time, were they able to take more time? Right? Would they have started a vaccine process for this type of virus? Not necessarily the Corona-19 virus, but when they knew it existed, the minute that this virus existed, which I'm assuming might have been 20 years ago now, you know, um, or when they're manipulating it to be more deadly. Well, I guess if you're doing that, you don't want a cure, <laughs> you know, but... Um, if you know something's dangerous when you're making it, you make ways to shut it off. You know, you make ways to, you implement ways to to make it inert so that if an enemy tries to use it against you, they can't. For instance, I've heard with American military craft, when we sell it to people, to nations that are or could potentially be hostile towards the United States, that there's little things built into that plane where if they try to use it against our planes, you just flip a switch and those things just fall out of the sky. Well, that's true or not, but it would make sense to do that, right? Well, same thing when you're creating a vaccine, or not a vaccine, a virus, or enhancing a virus or something like that. Um, if it was me, <clears throat> a scientist working out in a lab, I'd be looking for ways to get myself a cure, just in case this thing went awry, you know, went haywire and, and started infecting everybody in the, in the, the genetics lab. You know, you have a you have a fix for it to fix it up to fix your your coworkers up and yourself and your family, friends and the whole nine yards. You know, but the fact that they didn't have it, um, or maybe they do have it, and they're just giving it to the elites, um, and they're giving us the garbage. Well, the people that will take it anyway. Um, it just shows me that it's it's a de- depopulation thing. And another thing to think about, folks, is okay. So they're trying to give it to the kids. So they're trying to kill off the older people, okay? Anybody, you know, 12 and older, um, you know, because that's who's getting the vaccine now. And uh, trying to kill them off. But what about the young ones? Well, if you start giving it to them early enough and they never grow up to be fully functioning men or women, meaning that they can't reproduce, then you've killed off the human race. Okay, you've killed the older ones that, you know, could think about ways to um, fight you and maybe win. And you've killed off the future generation that um, could figure it out someday and could could produce children to uh, make over again society after you've destroyed it. So anyway it's it's a brilliant plan it really is it's uh it's it's luciferian it's, it's satanically perfect um but you know satan's plans never really work to begin with so let me see how much time we have we got about a half hour so why don't we for the sake of everything um let me see mr wren's here let me see how many videos he's got one two three okay i think some of these are short, and if they're not, we'll just go with another show. So I'm going to start this first video by, by uh, Attorney Renz and um, take about five minutes to take care of some business, and here we go. I want you to know that everything that I will say to this court, I believe with every, from the, the bottom of my soul. So you've heard from a number of scientists. These are brilliant people. Um, 
they have answers, they have science. I'm looking at this and I'm coming at this from a different angle. I'm coming at this from someone who, first of all, up till approximately two years ago, uh, had you told me that there were vaccines that were going to be dangerous and killing people, I would have said that, well, you, there's something wrong with you. Um, my family, with the exception of the COVID vaccination, is fully vaccinated. Uh, I myself, up with the exception of the COVID vaccination, am fully vaccinated. And uh, when I started my work into COVID, it was actually because I was against the lockdowns. I was against, I felt that it was a violation of our constitutional rights and I was concerned about what it was gonna do. Through that work, uh, I, I spent a substantial amount of time studying the disease. I've continued doing that uh, and then had to move into studying the vaccine, which was uh, kind of an evolution of my work. There's, there's, I'm going to present you with questions that I think should be answered, and I'm going to present you with the information that I have. I can't answer all these questions fully uh, because the information's suppressed, it's hidden. And I'm firmly of the belief that it's being hidden intentionally, uh, whereas a good doctor was, uh, much, was very measured in his willingness to assign, for lack of a better word, corruption. Uh, I'm not. I believe that what's happening is is corrupt. I believe it's abhorrent. And I think that uh, what's happened in Israel is a tragedy. And I want to prevent it from getting to that point here. To that extent, uh, I found evidence of cover-up from the beginning. Going way back to March of 2020, one of the first areas I found issue was in relation to death counts. In 2003, uh, a guidebook for determining the cause of death was issued as the last revision to the coroner's handbook. The coroner's handbook is the instruction manual for determining what, what would cause someone's death. Well, that book hasn't been revised since 2003 with one exception. Uh, and I believe May, if I'm not mixing up the date, it's been a while since I've looked at this, of 2020, uh, the DHHS put out a memo, which was actually a substantive rule change, but they just called it a, a memo, uh, that said, we're going to change the way that we count deaths for anything that could be called COVID-19. And I'm paraphrasing, but essentially what they did was they said, if you have something that could possibly be considered COVID-19, it needs to be considered COVID-19. And perhaps you'll remember Early on, there were reports of people who died in motorcycle wrecks, things like that, that were called COVID deaths. Well, that's the result of this memo. And legally, that was acceptable because if you died with COVID, not from COVID, you would be called a COVID death. Every other cause of death out there was from, not with, but they changed in the one circumstance. The result, I believe, and we're eager to get to discovery on this, although they've fought very, the other side, the federal government has fought, and the state governments have fought very hard to prevent us getting discovery on this. But we firmly believe and have a fair bit of evidence that would suggest that the result has been that the death count of this disease has been highly overinflated. We also know the case count has been overinflated. Uh, Dr. Malone, Dr. McCall, all these people could explain to you probably far better than I can 
But essentially, we know that a PCR test cannot diagnose disease. It can detect the presence of fragments of a virus, but not the actual presence of disease. Yet, PCR tests were used in a drive-through format to demonstrate that there was a disease present. This is impossible. And we also know that there's been a number of the PCR kits that have been recalled. Now, this is a much more recent development, but it's a very important development because the case counts and the death counts, all of this was used to drive the fear. Uh, while I was listening to Dr. Malone, I did, I did this. I ran a Google search on public health and fear. And this is Google Scholar. And what you'll see is if you do that, there are a huge number of documents out there that, that are related, scientifically related, to the use of fear as a tactic in public health. Number of documents out there that, that are related, scientifically related, to the use of fear as a tactic in public health. I learned this early on. It led to my belief that this was a cover-up and that there were issues in, in, as a basis of my litigation. Uh, as we moved on, the cover-up related and the fear that was, that's driven the reaction to COVID-19 has evolved and really uh, been translated into a push to force vaccination. Now, I would argue that forced vaccination is egregiously illegal in the United States, and particularly uh, in an emergency use authorized vaccine. I can point to a number of laws that say that outright, yet it seems to be being forced. Now, the president and his administration know that he can't force it outright. Otherwise, trust me, there would be a federal vaccine mandate. But instead, because he can't force it outright, what he's done is he's tried to force uh, private entities and, and other such businesses to force this. My question is, is why? If this is a safe and effective vaccine, why would you need to force anyone to do it, right? Oh, well, that came up pretty quick. Um, okay, folks. See, I told you these weren't that long. Okay, <clears throat> let's continue on. But he brings up a good thing. If it's safe and effective, when why force people to do it? And another thing he brings up is that um, the federal government doesn't have the, the power to do it. Like you said, it would be a federally mandated thing. You'd have to do it, but you can't. So you force people out of it. It's kind of like, um, oh, let's just say, uh, kind of like what the mob would do if they were in a in a neighborhood. You know, they don't want to. At first, they don't want to go in and and outright push people around and bully people around. You know, so they wait for the store owner to make an indiscretion. Okay. They know about the indiscretion. They walk up to them and they say, hey, we know that you, you name your indiscretion, that you did this. And if you want us to keep quiet, all you got to do is open up your store two nights a week and for a couple hours, and let us do some business from the back. Okay. The guy goes, well, I don't want my wife to find out about my indiscretion. So, yeah, I'll do that. Okay. But then the mob says, Okay, well, this is working on the street. I want you to do two things for me. And we've also paid you. You know, we put some money into your account. So if you say anything, they're going to see that you were paid to do this. So 
Uh, we want you to tell two or three of your friends to get in on this with you. And we want you to open two more days for two hours so that we can do business out of the back of the store. And so the guy capitulates. And pretty soon the mob takes over the business and starts running it. And soon the guy either retires or he does the ultimate retiring and they find him in the East River. Um, so that's the way the government does it. They can't come in right away and say, we want everybody to take this. You're going to do it under compulsion of law. And if you don't do it, you're going to jail or COVID camp or whatever you want to call it. Um, but they can go to employers who take money from them. You know, every business that I know of that has more than 100 employees, let's say, takes somehow takes money either directly or indirectly from the federal government or the state government. And the federal government tries to own the states, and some of the states allow them to own them, okay? Uh, Oregon, California, Washington are three good examples. New Jersey, New York, um, you know, there's a handful of them in this country, uh, the ones that aren't red, the ones that are blue have worked to deal with the federal government, with the mafia, so to speak. Um, but then the mafia of the federal government goes even farther and says, okay, well, you're you're taking money. <clears throat> Last year, you, uh, well, you, you took an endowment from us. I'm, I'm just making this up, okay? You took some kind of endowment from us, and you accepted it, and you used it. But we looked at the records and we realized that uh, you took a vacation during that time. Now, we can try to take you to court and, you know, and say that you were you misappropriation of funds that were directed for something else. Or you can just tell your employees that they all need to be vaccinated, you know. And that's what a lot of these companies, even though there's not a deal like that, that's what a lot of these companies are afraid of that the federal government's going to either pull their financing or pull their funding. And even a littlest bit of funding now is important for a business. You know, it doesn't have to be millions and billions of dollars. You know, it's even a hundred dollars is important nowadays a month or something from the federal government to keep some businesses alive. And, um, and I'm, it's a supposition. Okay. Don't write to me and say, how can a hundred dollars keep a business alive? I'm just using it as a supposition. Um, I know I'm going to get that letter. <laughs> But anyway, um, so this is how things work. You know, this is why little companies that have 101 employees walk in one day and say, okay, you all need to get vaccinated or we're going to have to let you go. The state does it because they get money from the federal government and they're in cahoots with the federal government because uh, the federal government, every time they steal from the people, they give the state a little bit of money or when the state needs money, they give it to them freely. Okay. So they're kind of like the middleman between the, the little guy, the business owner, or you, you or me that works in the business and the federal government. Okay. So they all have their hands in that pie. Okay. And that's a dirty pie. You don't want to eat from that pie. No, no, no. Government pie is real dirty. It's anything but humble pie. <laughs> and um, anyway, so this is how it kind of works. So that's what he was talking about. And, um, Anyway, let's continue. I thought that was one, and we're going to go to two now. And his are all short, so this is good. With regards to the vaccine specifically, one of the things that we did is uh, I've got some whistleblowers that have come forward who have gotten access to real data. Uh, and also, 
uh, we found some other things. What I'd like to do is I'd like to start out with a document that we, uh, we made public that was from the Department of Defense. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a confidential document. It wasn't something that uh, was, it was hidden in plain sight, which is frequently something that happens. And this is the document. So if you see on the screen, you'll see in the bottom left, uh, that's the Department of Defense seal. Okay, this was, right there. they are involved with the creation of this document. You'll also see the, the symbol JAIC, that's the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Uh, Umetrics is a platform that puts together health information on this stuff, and, and Project Salus is analysis. Now, this is really important. I was fact-checked on some of the whistleblower data and some of this stuff, and I, I want to clarify that we were correct and that, the, frankly, the media is lying. I, I don't know how else to say it. Oh, boy, really? So we see the Department of Defense document, right? Um, and, and this is a little out of order because we had to pull it off the web, and then we put it on my website. But... Uh, if you scroll down to this page, you'll see something that's very critical. You'll see the CMS 100 plus M weekly Medicare records and the CDC SVI data. Okay, so uh, in October of 2020, uh, there was a presentation by the FDA that was leaked. And everybody heard about the side effects from this vaccine. It was very, it ran all over the internet uh, because it, they said, we're looking for these side effects in this vaccine. But there's, there's a lot more to that presentation. And one of the critical things about it was they said in that presentation that they were going to use the CMS, which is a Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, they were going to use their database to monitor, monitor for safety and efficacy of the vaccine. Uh, JAIC, the Artificial Intelligence Center, presumably, and we obviously are not getting answers from the FDA or anybody else on this, but uh, is being used to analyze this, C this uh, CMS data. If we go back, you'll also see weekly update. So my assumption is, is that the federal government's given data on a weekly basis and that they know the stuff that I'm telling you. They're just hiding it. Now, I'll get to why in a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm certain that money has a bit to do with it. But if you go through this, you see the CMS is one of the inputs to this, and it comes out, uh, you know, they analyze this. And CMS, what you're looking at when you look at CMS data is you're looking at uh, the bills, right? Medicare pays the bills. So the hospital says, we did this, this, and this. Here's the bill, and Medicare pays it. So despite the fact that they're saying these vaccines are free, they're not. Someone's paying for them. It's uh, through our tax dollars. Well, so what we did is we did some analysis on that, and I'll get to that in a minute. But before I do, I'm going to go through the Department of Defense's analysis. There's a number of things that come out of this, and I'm going to go real quickly through this, and if we have questions, I can go back. Uh, if we scroll down, you see that, uh, where is this? Uh, case definition. Uh, oh, this COVID-19 breakthrough infection definition, the second one. Um, more than two weeks after the second dose of Pfizer or Moderna, 
or two weeks after the first dose of Janssen. I want you to remember that. Um, you're not considered vaccinated until you are fully vaccinated. And now they're looking at changing the definition again to include a booster. So this is uh, people numbers related to how many people are uh, vac vaccinated in uh, the Medicare population. Now this is, well, within the population examined here. And we don't know, with Medicare, Medicaid, um, and they also have the CMS, or I'm sorry, the uh, uh, CDC data, which I don't have access to. I haven't got a whistleblower on that yet, although I'm looking. Um, if we go through here, I want to point out this. Over here, yeah, uh, over here, 80% of the population, 65 plus, is vaccinated. 71% of new cases occurred in fully vaccinated people. 71%. That doesn't sound like efficacy to me. We scroll down, and a lot of this is about the waning effects of the vaccine. The longer, the farther out you are from getting the vaccine, the less effective it is. We all know that. And this whole presentation backs that up. Uh, if we scroll down farther, we see this, this document. And here we see the same thing. Uh, we start out... Uh, uh, with hospitalizations doubling as Delta variant became, uh, became the, pr uh, the primary source of infection. We also see 60% of hospitalizations that occurred were in fully vaccinated individuals. Now they said that this is a crisis of the unvaccinated. They said that it's only the unvaccinated that are in the hospital. But we see by the DOD's own presentation that a full 71% of new cases are occurring in the fully vaccinated and over 60% of the hospitalizations are occurring in the fully vaccinated. This, this is absolute proof, using their words, that they're lying. I don't know what else it could be. And I hate using such strong statements, but it's got the DOD stamp on it. We know that it's, you know, the DOD has this. I'm going to scroll down quickly. Uh, and to this page, which, which has the same two numbers, the 71% and the 60%. But then I'm going to scroll, look down here. It says, graphic adapted from CDC presentation July 30th. Now, wait a second. I may not be a doctor, but I'm fairly certain the CDC has been telling us that this is safe and effective, and this is telling me from the Department of Defense document that they were aware that 71% of cases were, in, were breakthrough and 60% of hospitalizations are breakthrough. We're being lied to, gentlemen. I don't know how else to say it. I would love to candy coat this. I'd love to put it in another direction. This is, in, this is to me, fair, irrefutable proof of a, of a lie. I don't know what else it could be. Um, there's two other key things that I want to point out in this Department of Defense document. The first is that uh, they do specify that natural immunity is the strongest, uh, the best method for preventing breakthroughs, uh, you know, pre preventing anything. Uh, even if you are vaccinated, those with natural immunity are still better. Although, I will tell you, and I'll leave this to the doctors to discuss, there's strong evidence that your natural immunity is diminished substantially if you get the vaccine. 
Another thing I want to point out is this last page. Um, so this document was taken down from the metrics website after we published it and made it public. Before it was taken down, they modified it to add another, another bullet point over here. But if you see in here, North American natives, Hispanics, and uh, blacks, uh, which I find interesting that they didn't use African American as a terminology, but uh, those three racial groups all have a higher breakthrough rate. Um, there's no explanation for this. I've asked a few doctors, and I can't, I want to differentiate between something I can prove and something that I, I, I'm working on. I'm working on getting to the bottom of that. From what I'm hearing, there's a higher concentration of ACE2 receptors in non-whites. And ACE2 receptors are one of the mechanisms by which the, the virus and the spike proteins do damage to your cells. Okay. Very interesting. So he's putting it all together, folks, isn't he, that uh, we're being lied to and that uh, they're fudging the numbers. And uh, in that case, basically turning the numbers totally around. Um, let's see what he has to say here. So this document is very, very, it's, it's very difficult for them to argue with. I mean, it is, I want to, I can't reiterate enough. I mean, we have, you know, a DOD stamp on this and we have, we have the Joint Artificial Intelligence. You know, it's, it's really difficult to suggest that this isn't a good document. Um, I want to pull and show you another document and this is, uh, these are on my website, so you're welcome to uh, uh, to put these. Uh, now, this one I hope you'll be able to see. And I did a I did a presentation uh, regarding uh, some the information that we got from the whistleblowers. And again, uh, this is the follow up to that presentation. In that presentation, uh, my whistleblowers had access to the Center for Medicare Services computers, which, as I said, uh, ran searches on that. Uh, we ran searches on We ran searches on that. And I said, you know, this, these are bills. So what we did was we ran searches of these bills, okay? Uh, I want to remind you, the Department of Defense, they're analyzing the same data. So they should, they're presumably running these same searches. If they're not, they ought to be. And we asked the question, if, if we've got this, if we're able to pull it, where's Fauci at on this? Why isn't he looking at this? Why isn't he asking these questions? Because one of the responses when uh, DHHS was asked about this was no such data exists. Well, first of all, I don't believe that. And second of all, that would be the most egregiously negligent behavior I've ever heard of. If you're not looking at this, there's something wrong. So, oops. Um, we, we reposted in this presentation those slides that show that this data most certainly does exist. Now, Medicare covers 18.1% of the U U.S. population. Okay, and we only have access through our whistleblowers to Medicare. So that's, that's a small portion, and mind you, it's generally 65 and up. 
So it's the, the more at-risk population. We ran a search, and we, said, and we, we searched the bills. We said, okay, if, what days did you get vaccinated, and how many people died within 14 days of getting that shot? Now, I want to be transparent here. I don't want to be accused of being misleading. This is a 65-plus category. It's very possible that some of these people died of natural causes. Here's the problem. 48,000 of them died within 14 days of the jab. And yet Fauci wow. and crew are telling us that they're not looking into this. They're telling it's a safe and effective. Now that number by itself is shocking, but that number in conjunction with the VAERS data and everything else we're seeing is terrifying. And that number in conjunction with other data I'm going to show you is even worse. So we found 48,000, almost a little under, 48,000 deaths within 14 days. Um, now, we didn't differentiate between one shot, two shots. Uh, we also didn't wait the 14 days. Now, here's the thing that's really egregious about this. If you recall in that DOD document, I asked you to remember that until 14 days post full, full uh, vaccination, you're not considered vaccinated. None of these 48,000 are presumably counted as deaths from the vaccine because of that little statistical game they're playing. And if they switch this, if they change this, if they say, listen, now you have to have the booster shot too, well, are they just gonna, are they gonna disregard all of the side effects? I mean, they're not reporting what's happening now. So, you know, what's going to happen there? These two, these next two slides after this are from that FDA presentation that I mentioned was leaked uh, from October of 2020. This is the slide that says in, in red at the bottom, we highlighted, that they're using CMS data, okay? Um, this is the next slide from that presentation, and these are the side effects that the FDA said it was going to look for. Now, they said they're monitoring this real time. I showed you a DOD document that says weekly report on it. Sounds like real time. Yet they seem to tell me that they can't find any side effects or adverse events. Well, here's what we did. This is the state of New York, okay? Uh, these people in this did not have these side effects. These are the side, we ran a search for the CMS data, uh, you know, for the bills. We looked in the bills. How many people were diagnosed with anaphylaxis, Bell's palsy, et cetera, et cetera? We excluded anyone, to tighten our search down, we excluded anyone who had had any of these symptoms prior to January 1st, 2020, so it's at least a year before. So it's not people who were paralyzed and were still paralyzed. It's people who within 28 days, only 28 days, so basically within one month or less of the vaccination, they found themselves victims of these side effects, right? These are the side effects that the, that the FDA said they were going to search for. Now, you'll see in New York, you'll see over here, 6,586 deaths within 28 days. Obviously, you didn't have a death as a side effect prior, but uh, 6,586 people died from the safe and effective vaccine. And remember, remember, Medicare only. 
So this is only in the Medicare population. Now, I, when I look at these, one of the th a couple things really stick out to me, and they're down here. Because I've never heard of someone quick developing a case of paralysis or seizure convulsion disorder. I mean, you don't get seizures unless something happens in your health. There's going to be a change. If you're a healthy person that doesn't have seizures, you don't wake up one day with seizures. And if you're a healthy person that's doing things, you don't wake up paralyzed one day. But the safe and effective vaccine in New York resulted in 1,017 people who had started having seizures and convulsions and 1,316 people who were paralyzed. If you go down through, through this presentation, I, I broke it down for a number of states. Um, but what it's the same. The what about the stroke? How many strokes? Uh, in New York, we had 2,135. But remember, uh, we also have broken out separately thrombocytopenia, thrombosis. So, so some of the other clotting diseases are broken out separately. And uh, the clotting really seems to be one of the, the major, major issues with this. Uh, that seems to really be foundational. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I, you know, I can't go into the specifics of it, but you know, I've looked at enough of these numbers to see that there's a real issue. I mean, we see embolisms, um, lots of heart attacks, uh, infarction, myocardial infarctions, things like that. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of things related to that clotting issue. Right. So... How many people were vaccinated compared to these results? Uh, well, it, I do have those numbers. I don't have them with me. Uh, it is. It is. And I don't have them uh, with me. We're, so what happens when we get this data is frequently we get this in a huge dump of raw data. And so we have to kind of go through and put it together and, and make it something that people can use. So it sometimes takes time. Um, and it sometimes takes substantial time. So we're getting, we have more data. There's going to be a tremendous amount more coming out. Uh, we just don't have it all analyzed yet. And we're working to continue to, uh, continue to get more. Uh, in full, disclo full disclosure, we are going to, I believe that we have this in, in pretty strong evidentiary format now. We're going to actually be taking steps to strengthen it to make sure that they can't challenge us when we submit this in court, which naturally we'll be doing. But uh, anytime you have a whistleblower, you have to balance protecting the whistleblower with uh, you know, being able to limit the ability of the other side to challenge you, your, your chain of custody on the evidence. Um, I'll tell you that this data has been evaluated, and there's several very, very well-placed people who are far smarter than I am that have looked at the data, that know uh, who the whistleblower is, and that have attested to uh, this. And we have actually submitted some of this data in federal court already. So I've done my due diligence. I will stand behind this data. And uh, if I were to submit it to court without being able to stand behind it, I could lose my license. So when I say this data is good, I firmly believe it's good. And as I said, even more importantly than that, as I said when I started this, uh, I don't think that I could do much worse than lying to this council. So uh, I can assure you I'm standing behind what I have to say. Okay, folks, for the sake of time and the battery I have in my jetpack, let's go. Oh, my, there's two more. Okay. Well, Lord, we pray that you, I got 24% battery left on the jetpack. So. Okay. One thing, how does this compare with the VAERS uh, database? 
So VAERS is, uh, has actually been held in court to be unreliable. Uh, and, it's been, and the reason for that is it's self-reporting. Now, the doctors are supposed to report this, but they're not. I have, I have more people that have testified that, you know, they're not reporting and that they're covering up this stuff than, than I could possibly list. I mean, that's, it's not hard to find whistleblowers on that. Find anyone who works in a hospital that's aware of what's going on. They'll tell you they can't, you know, they're not supposed to report it. Um, the VAERS system uh, has historically been determined through uh, the Harvard Pilgrim study that to be between 1% and 10% of the injuries are reported. So you can take it and multiply it between 110, 10 or 100. So, I mean, it's way underreported. Um, you know, I would, I'd be willing to eat my hat to, if, it wasn't, if, there were, if there weren't 200,000 deaths in the U.S. from this. Um, I'm, I'm quite confident that that number's... Probably, probably low, but we're probably at least there. Um, here's the real issue, right? So when, when I was asked to come over and to, to speak with you, uh, yeah, one of the issues that was brought up to me is kids. Okay, so I'm a dad. I have an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old. And I'll tell you that there is literally nothing on this planet that will get me to give this to my children. I've worked around the clock in this, on this exclusively for all, all, approaching two years now. Uh, as a non-doctor, I think I've read about every, every single thing that you can read. I've read more medical journals than I'd ever care to, uh, more law, more anything. And like I said, my job has been to translate this stuff from medical to English. And with the help of a lot of brilliant people like Dr. McCullough, uh, you know, I'd like to think we've done an okay job of that. This, this isn't safe. Our side effects show that. It's not effective. Their document shows that. And by the way, I don't know if you all caught this, but Walensky from CDC, shortly after, the, in fact, the next week after we dropped that DOD document and we really started blowing that up, she came out and said that the vaccines can no longer prevent the spread of COVID-19. Why are we having this discussion? Why is anybody getting this? Why would you be experimented on? Uh, we confirmed through, the, through Medicare, uh, whistleblower sent me some data. This isn't public until now. Well, this, you guys will be the first. Uh, we confirmed that there is no commonality in the United States that has been paid for, not a single dose from Medicare. It's not licensed. When you get the Pfizer shot, it's not licensed. And as Dr. Malone said, the fact that it's legally distinct is really important because being legally distinct means that it's a distinct product. And since they're not telling us what's in it, who knows? Who knows what the difference is? Um, this is an incredible situation, right? This is an incredible situation. Uh, why would we allow an experimental jab to be put into our children there's no long-term studies it hasn't been a, it, it hasn't been invented long enough for there to be a long-term study typically you're looking 10 to 15 years we have no idea what this is going to do in two years what i do know is having talked to a majority of the doctors working on this in the country that they're very scared about the two to five year range we're seeing numerous things happening already we're, we're, they're quite nervous about this fall. 
uh, what's going to happen because what we're seeing in the numbers, and I'm working on getting these confirmed, but the same thing that we've seen with Israel, the highest vaccination rate has the highest COVID rate. Everything yeah. we're seeing points to this being a disaster, yet we keep pushing full steam ahead. Why? Why? Well, let's look at the relationship between the Department of Health and Human Services and the uh, pharmaceutical industry. Billions of dollars a year. These guys have a revolving door. I'm not going to get into all the details, but you see people go from DHHS to Pfizer to Moderna and back. I mean, it's a revolving door where you work, right? Uh, in the 90s, we passed something called the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, PDUFA for short. Basically, what that does is allows pharmaceuticals to give user fees to expedite uh, their drugs being approved. Well, those user fees are pretty hefty. Now, I'm not suggesting that those user fees, which are many, many, many millions of dollars, would have anything to do with this, but, you know, I'll let you guys draw your own conclusions. Uh, Moderna. Do you know how many approved drugs Moderna has on the market? Zero. Zero. Do you know the value of Moderna? Last I looked, it was $25 billion. Now, how is that? The only thing that they've got on the market is this, uh, this vaccine. By the way, NIH, you know, where Fauci works, co-owns the intellectual property rights on that vaccine. <laughs> I'm not saying there's anything shady going on, but I'll let you draw your own conclusions. These are questions that we should be asking, right? These are questions. Um, and, and whether we go back to the very beginning where, you know, I, I talked about the, the death counts being changed for one disease, PCR tests that don't work, lies about the safety and the efficacy. I mean, what I've done here is over the last however long I've been talking, I've laid out a whole slew of things that you'd be hard-pressed to call anything but a lie. Now they want you to trust your children with this. There is literally no chance of my child ever getting this injection. None. I'd leave the country. I would do whatever I had to do first. It's not going to happen because I love my kids and I know what's going on. I pity the people who do not know what's going on. The cover-up is abhorrent. Very interesting. And he's doing it very carefully, like a wise man. Okay, let's watch the last part. Then we'll say adios, okay? Before the battery dies. By the way, just in case you're curious, there is, an, there is some, it's called the Trusted News Initiative. The Trusted News Initiative is basically a whole slew of media sites, most of your mainstream news media that's come together and said that they're going to combat vaccine misinformation. You'll note that uh, you know, some of the big tech players are in it and some of these other, all the big media is in it. Uh, Combating vaccine misinformation means that they're lying and covering up because we know that the people that own big media also own big tech, big pharma, big everything else. It's a very, very, very shady thing that's occurring. It's a war on the people of the world 
by a few that have too much power. Bingo. I don't need to tell this council what happens when too much power is given to one man who doesn't have good intentions. And I pray that we remember that, and I pray for the people of Israel, I pray for the people of America, and I pray that this council will find the wisdom to do what, what God wants you to do. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. There is a religious point. By Allah, by Jewish law, if the, if the doctor is not responsible, you shouldn't take his whatever he has to give to you. Who is responsible when someone gets damaged? That is a wonderful question, and I'm so glad. I wish I would have thought to bring that up. Nobody. Uh, there are so many laws indemnifying these people and uh, barring us going after them. It has been a great, great challenge. Do you know that if I sue Anthony Fauci for lying, which I feel very strongly I could prove, that I could potentially be on the hook for his legal fees, personally? If, if we had the sort of uh, protections uh, from torts, for the general public that, that the federal government has given itself and the pharmaceutical companies, no one would ever sue anyone again. Uh, it, is, it is nearly impossible to sue an individual for damages on this. They've passed so many laws to do this. I'm not saying it's impossible, and I assure you I'll bring cases because I'm just that way. Uh, but it is a very difficult road to tread. And I will tell you that the people who are sick and injured from this and who will become sick and injured from this, they're going to have a great deal of difficulty. Will employers or schools be for vaccine mandates? Will the schools be? Schools or employers? Probably not. They will probably not be responsible. There's a possibility we're going to go after it, but it, you know we don't really know where the court's going to come down on some of the some of these questions yet. Uh, in all honesty, it's my sincere hope that the people will rise up and demand change. That by doing things like this, that the truth will come out and come out to the public broadly, and that the people will will take a stand because the courts are going to take time. But we saw early in litigation, and this is my opinion, um, a lot of the early litigation in this started with the lockdowns, and there were a lot of people that said due process is being violated. Well, of course due process was being violated. When you say you have to stay in your house and you can't leave without any sort of due process, that's akin to house arrest. Yet we all agreed to do it to flatten the curve. Remember 14 yeah, days to almost two years ago. Well. The courts, there were a lot of suits over that, and the courts basically said, well, when there's an emergency, we give some, some leeway to this. And it's a very important point, because what the courts came down on the side of the 10th Amendment over due process in a lot of cases. Now, that's reasonable to an extent, and let me explain this. If a tornado comes through my town, and there's power lines down, I don't want my kids playing in a mud puddle, 
okay? So th that's an emergency. You tell the kids stay inside and we'll clean up the power lines, then you let them back out, and that takes a day or two. The definition of emergency doesn't include things that take a year and a half. This isn't an emergency. And the fact that most of this is being done in emergency use authorization is plainly illegal. We're getting to that. We're working on that as attorneys. But um, the bottom line is, is that a lot of these things have not been decided in the courts, and it's hard to say where they're going to go. And the, I think that it's very important. When they made those rules on the emergency, they did so in part because uh, they didn't want it. They were told if they didn't make these decisions, millions of people would die. They were lied to, but you know, none of the lawyers were asking for facts at that time. to lie to Congress also, Dr. Yes, well, he certainly did that. Thank you. So someone mentioned to me that this that you cannot sue on the COVID vaccine is on all vaccines. Is that true? It's very difficult to sue for vaccine injury for any vaccine. You're, you're required to go through, for lack of a better term, a vaccine court. And uh, So it's not specifically on the COVID vaccine? COVID has additional protections. So it's worse for COVID. Okay, folks, there we have it. Well, we got through some of it. Um, this might turn into two or three shows. <laughs> so, But I just want people, to, you folks, to listen to all the evidence that's coming out. Yes, it's coming out before a rabbinical court, but it's coming out in, in a population of people that have been murdered and killed throughout for the last, well, throughout the history of their, their being. Um, read the Bible for goodness sakes. Um, so there is a, and you take the Holocaust and it really was, there really was a Holocaust folks. And if you don't believe that, then I don't know. I got some, uh, beachfront property in Arizona. I'd like to sell to you. Um, but it's, um, because it's happening in this forum and I presented to you on this show, you take it and you, you either share the information with somebody or you share the, the show with somebody. They watch it and hopefully it'll start taking, you know, uh, years ago they had a commercial for, um, I think it was a shampoo or something. can't remember, makeup or something. And the lady goes, then you tell two friends and they tell, and then the screen was filling up with people and they were going and they tell two friends and so, so on and so on and so on where there was like maybe a hundred little things on a television, you know, and, that, that's how it's got to go, folks. It's it's got to be word of mouth. It's it's they're not going to get it out in the press. They're not going to. Uh, I'm going to go back to the regular screen here, so you have to look at my ugly mug. Um, but uh, so we have to share this information to one another, and I've gotten to the point where I'm not afraid to share it with relatives. Um, the relatives that I have are. Uh, there's a couple of them that have taken the vaccine and they realized that maybe it wasn't a good idea. Okay. So uh, there are a lot of people like that too. I mean, if my relatives are like that, I know there are millions of other people that are like that too. And um, they swear they're not going to get the booster if, if one comes up. And um, well, I just pray for this country. I pray for, for Israel and um, 
and all other countries where people are striving to be free, which is basically the whole earth, actually, but are under the tyrannical rule of uh, people like uh, Biden and Fauci and and Bor- that Boris guy. I can never remember his last name. I keep wanting to say Yeltsin, but that's not right. Boris, um, oh, I just had it tip my tongue. Anyway, Johnson, that's his last name. Uh, in England, and uh, that uh, frog that's running uh, France and, uh, you know, all over the place. And I just pray that the people will rise up and cast these people out um, and that there's Nuremberg trials again. And I hope they hold them in Nuremberg. Wouldn't that be ironic? So anyway, I am running out of battery rapidly. I'm down to 21% on this nice little jewel that I've got here. And I have to plug it in. Uh, in the meantime, I'll be working on the audio file and getting ready for that to, to go up. Um, weather here in Oregon has been interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen the sun in a long time. Um, it snowed a little today, and it's supposed to get down to below freezing tonight, and it's supposed to get a lot of snow all day tomorrow. So um, hopefully, with the pose in the matrix, it won't, the weather won't affect us like it did over in Crawfordsville. I think this, the infrastructure here is a little better than it was over in Crawfordsville. And plus the people that live around here, they're not, uh, um, I don't want to criticize where I used to live, but there were a lot of crackheads over there and a lot of people drank beer and then went out driving and ran into telephone poles. So, um, and, and houses and everything else for that matter. But, um, anyway, uh, hopefully that will not happen here. We'll be able to have a show every Monday night. Uh, till kingdom come or we're out of here one of the two i guess that would be kingdom come huh yeah that's right um anyway folks i just want to thank you for being a wonderful audience you always are um i get nothing well every once in a while i get a crank letter but for the most part i get nothing but good correspondence from you folks and i am so thankful for that um there are two or three ladies that uh that are very good at uh telling me uh you know, the little nuances that I could add on to the show, or if, uh, you know, the one sister in particular um, who tells me if the sound was a little too loud, if it wasn't enough. And, and I really appreciate that kind of stuff, folks. I really do. So don't feel like you're, I, I won't get offended. Okay. It's hard to offend me. Um, so tell me if there's a little thing that, you know, if, if there was a lag in the sound or whatever, you know, and uh, those things are always appreciated because those things can be fixed can't fix the government for that much and you really can't fix stupid so but you can fix little nuances on the uh, on the radio aka also known as uh, video radio show so um okay i'm going to sign off folks uh, again it's the 25th of december actually it's the 26th if you look at the way hebrews um calculate time jews calculate time and uh and they did for a long time in the old uh testament not just the the jews but all that whole culture over there <clears throat> sundown was the new day um so i'll be back in a day or two we'll definitely be back on monday me and brian and uh and we'll we'll have a separate subject matter i think and uh and then we'll maybe tomorrow night we'll have another one of these and then uh tuesday night if it goes into that because there's a lot of stuff to cover folks uh, the lady we're going to listen to tomorrow night uh, is an OBGYN doctor. She's going to talk about um, all the stuff that happens with uh, with ladies and when they catch when they take the jab um, or around people that took the jab. 
she's going to talk about infants and everything else. A very interesting lady. Uh, and then there's another lady that's going to talk about statistics and numbers. Very, very intelligent. PhD. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll see you tomorrow. And as always, may the Lord make us, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he watch over your going out, your coming in, your rising up, and your lying down. Isn't that interesting? Look what that forms. Huh. Um, anyway, may he do those things. May he grant you peace in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. See you soon, folks. Good night.